Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 107. Hey, this is Garib Seamus, CEO of Ace Universe. And if you want to learn how to build your company by networking, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, I'm sure you've heard me and my guests talk a lot about the importance of masterminds. I know I personally would not be anywhere near where I am today without spending tens of thousands of dollars investing into building relationships in a mastermind setting. So on that, I am opening up a second round of my mastermind, Build Your Network Alpha in order to build relationships with some of you guys out there. If this is something that interests you, please head over to buildyournetwork.co slash alpha to submit an application and hop on the phone with me to chat about it. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Garib Seamus. 
Garib, CEO of Ace Universe, is a world-renowned pop culture expert, founder of the largest Comic-Con tour, and for over 20 years published the leading award-winning magazines covering superheroes across movies, TV, toys, games, animation, and comic books in 75 countries and in dozens of languages. Garib is a professional contemporary artist whose artwork is currently on display in galleries in Los Angeles, Toronto, and New York City. His paintings are noted for breaking the third wall with their three-dimensional textures and use of a proprietary painting technique designed and developed to provoke conversation by reaching out to the viewer. Garib, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. Uh, super excited to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and expound just a tad on the intro and then tell us what you're most excited about right now. Oh, cool. Well, thank you so much for the uh, intro. I've been in the superhero business my entire life. So as you can imagine, it's been a lot of fun, especially since all the fictional characters I've grown up with are now taking over the world. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it's really been amazing. And right now I'm working with my brother and we're back in the superhero business and really trying to reinvent and kind of the world that we started, which is kind of like the superhero media and how we talk to consumers and work with consumers and building a global community of fans around the world. Wow. So really you have every child's dream job. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally like living in a candy store. (laughs) Awesome. So how did you get started with all this, man? Well, I have three brothers. So when I grew up, I collected sports cards and then eventually comic books. And then this, my parents had this ingenious idea to open up a comic book and sports card store because it became such a big family hobby that we opened that up. And that's what my mom did. She ran the store when we were kids. So it was just an incredible way to get started in that world from very, very young. Yeah, no kidding. So do you draw a lot of this stuff or like, how does this coincide with your art background? So I don't draw comic books. I'm a painter, but a, a contemporary, more abstract. Okay. So, so my friends are the best comic book illustrators and painters in the world, and I do not compete with them. So, <laughs> okay, gotcha. Uh, but a few years ago, uh, taking some time off, I kind of semi-retired and I wound up needing a really amazing, I really needed a creative outlet for myself. And it just turns, I never thought I was a good painter, even though I've always been an art collector, curator, thing of that nature. But I started painting and developed this technique that people found to be fairly unique and exciting. Mm -hmm. And my messages were really resonating with people in terms of what I was saying with my art. It just started networking into the right people. And before you know it, I was getting gallery shows and getting displayed in a lot of different places. Wow. So did you ever think that that was going to be something that would, that you'd be able to, you know, add to your resume? No, never. I never imagined myself being a professional artist, especially since I grew up with so many artists and I knew the struggles that they've been through. I knew what it took to become a professional artist. So when I started painting, it was really more for fun because I just really wanted to express myself in a certain way, but it wasn't about a commercial aspect of it. It wasn't like I was doing it because I needed to sell it. It was more because I needed to express myself in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. So growing up with the comic book store, going back to that conversation, do you think that you really had other options? I mean, like, it, cause it seems like there's something that was kind of ingrained in you from the very beginning. Like, what did your brothers end up doing? So my oldest brother is an orthodontist. So okay. clearly he thought that was another way. <laughs> yeah, right. Then I have a younger brother that took this once we had the retail store, he opened up an online store, a toy store, okay, and built that into a really nice business. 
And then my youngest brother works with me at the time at the magazines and the comic cons. And then now together, we're back in the superhero media business. So that's been great. Yeah. But at the time, it wasn't, my parents never really put the pressure on me or my brothers that we had to get into that business or that that was our future. What they did provide was a really amazing environment for us to enjoy life and be able to do something that we enjoy, do something that we enjoy as a family and just be educated about things. And then then we could decide whatever we want. Mm. But I do think that it did a couple things, whether it's given us the confidence to start something on our own and take an idea and then take it to fruition in terms of turning our passion into our profession. Right. You said it right there, hit the nail on the head. I think most people go through life without really ever finding anything that they super enjoy doing anyway. Like they don't even find the passion, let alone find your passion and then figure out a way to make a living on it and create a career around that. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Tell us about that experience. I mean, do you ever feel like you've like worked a day in your life, you know, as the saying goes? Well, there are definitely some days that I worked and felt like I worked really hard. But generally speaking, as a career, It's been extraordinary because I get to talk about superheroes and comic books and toys and games and animation. And and now I'm at a point in my life where a lot of the people that I grew up with, you know, have gotten achieved a certain level of success out there. And they're working on also the futures of their world. So it's not just, you know, so the people that I worked with in the gaming space are now working on AR and VR stuff, you know, and the people that are working in the movie or television business are not just working on you know, somebody else's movies, they're the ones making the movies and they're the ones making the TV shows. And it's not just on television, it's on, you know, Netflix or Amazon. And 
You know, and it's just almost every aspect of life, people that I know, that I've worked with, that I've been friends with, have gone on to the next level of those areas, you know, much like myself, going into those next level areas. And that's really been exciting. Yeah. So what goes into this whole, so your company is Ace Universe. So what exactly do you do with Ace Universe? Like how does it flush itself out on a daily operational basis? So right now we started the company at the middle of last year to start out doing new Comic Cons, but to do it in a very, very unique and what we think is the future of that world. Okay. And because of our relationships with the talent and the talent agencies that we've established over you know, the 25 to 27 years that we've been working, our goal was to bring in the biggest celebrities in the world. Hmm. We wanted to make sure that if you were on screen, whether it was movies or television, and you had a global audience, we wanted to make sure that we can bring that to life and give people access to things that they would never have access to and open up the access that we have to everyone else. And for us, you know, the whole early part of our life, literally two decades, it was about being accepted because people who collected comic books or action figures or played the video games, you know, we were the outcasts, we were the geeks, we were the nerds. It wasn't cool. And then over time it became cool. Hmm. So the first part of our careers were around acceptance. Today, what we're doing is now that we're accepted, we're building it into a community. And how do we engage this community in a lot of different ways? And the first way that we established was through the Comic-Con. So what we're doing is bringing in the big celebrities and instead of going to convention centers, we're going into arenas. And what do people think about when they go to an arena? They think they're going to an event, they're going to an experience, they're gonna be there with their friends, they're gonna have fun. And we wanna create that kind of aura now about when you go to a Comic-Con, that it's not just a very transactional experience, but it's something that you could participate in and be there and be part of the fun and be part of the action and be part of that community. Mm. And that's what we're doing now with our events and creating that kind of festival atmosphere. And then the second part of it is the media side of it is now, usually when you have a big celebrity like that, you know, especially at some of these events, it's very closed. Right. So if you're there, there's only a few thousand seats, only those few people are lucky to see it. And then if there ever is a video that escapes online, it's some handheld cell phone in the dark and it's mm. blurry and, you know, you can't hear what they're saying. Right. But we're doing the opposite. So rather than discouraging that or encouraging that. So we want people that are there that are experiencing the biggest celebrities in the world or the talent that we bring in. We want them to be able to share it with everybody all their friends. And so we're now live streaming the events. We're taping a lot of it. We're making it available. We want anyone anywhere that wants to experience what's going on. We want them to be able to have that access. So going back to the beginning of that answer, there's something that yes. I really want to bring out of that because there's something I was going to ask about. So I'm, I'm happy that you brought it up first. You've been in this space for a really, really long time, a couple of decades now. What kind of transformation have you seen with the people that follow this industry in the last 20 years? Because it's kind of talking about you went through this phase of like where these people are, like you're saying, the outcasts, the nerds, the people that were interested in this stuff. And now it's really become a lot more widespread, possibly due to the fact that they've been made into movies and like, you know, in insane worldwide blockbuster films that, that are being created out of these. What kind of transformation have you seen in the audience members of these Comic-Cons and stuff that you're doing? 
So it's interesting because it has gone through a few different phases. So when I started back in 1990-91, the audience that we had with our magazines, it was about 95% male. It was age 14, 15 year old guys. I mean, that was the audience. Okay. And what happened was as the audience started growing, that audience started aging. So people started sticking with it longer. So as we grew, that 14 and 15 year old became 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 and 2021. So, and even if we were getting a lot of new people in, a lot of people were sticking with it well beyond when they would have typically stopped. Hmm. So what happened was the age kept going up and also still kept being male. And then what happened was back probably in the 2000 range, what happened was people all of a sudden felt like they didn't want to stop collecting when they got to that natural age of, let's say, 18, 19, when they went away to college, they would typically you know, give up comic books or give up video games and you know, be into sports or girls or have other interests. Mm-hmm. And once people found that they didn't want to stop doing that, then the material started changing. The material started getting more mature. And then as the material got more mature, then women started coming into it. Hmm. And then what also then happened was then more movies and television started emerging. And then as that started emerging, you know, the age was still getting older. And then I kind of want to fast forward to today where the, the movies have gotten so big and the TV shows have gotten so big and they've gotten so diverse right. that so many more women have come into it. And then the second thing that happened was the generational aspect came into it. So the guys that grew up with it now have kids Mm -hmm. or they were young at the time and they had their father. So now all of a sudden there was a lot of this kind of father-son relationship that emerged. So that's why when I, it was very, very interesting that when Disney bought Marvel and then bought Star Wars, Mm -hmm. I always talk about how Disney owned that mother-daughter relationship. They had these princess movies and it was something that when a girl grew up and she got old enough, she got her daughter into it and they had that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. When Disney bought Marvel and then bought Star Wars, they bought that father-son relationship. And that's when everything broke open for them. And then Disney's done an amazing job with Marvel in terms of making them family-oriented. And especially today, you have some of the best looking guys in the business. So there's certainly that attraction, Mm -hmm. you know, for women, there's definitely that male superhero component to it. So it's certainly attractive to men. And then now even more is happening where you have a character like Wonder Woman, Mm. where you have young girls that would have never been in the superhero business all of a sudden dressing up like, you know, the princess warrior. And we had Gal at one of our shows recently And you can't believe how many young girls showed up in costume with their moms. And it was just so amazing to see, you know, how diverse and how big this industry has gotten. That's incredible. What a crazy, crazy transformation. So did you notice a huge spike when the movies started getting really big? Yeah, it was actually uh, two parts to it. It's when the movies started getting big and then social media compounding it. So it was a combination of starting the fire and then pouring the fuel on it. Yeah, yeah. So when we were used to get celebrities at our shows, people wanted the pictures, but they were a lot more interested in the autographs component to it. Mm-hmm. And now with social media and the like 
being your currency, it became one of those things where people want the picture with the celebrity. You know, they want to be feel like they had that experience, they had an emotional connection with that artist or that celebrity that's there, that whatever they do is resonating with them. And so much of superheroes is about, you know, the extension of someone's abilities. And so many people have these characters, these superheroes that resonate with them, mm-hmm. you know, because they might have originally started out with that type of ailment or something that sets them back or something that's been holding them back. Mm-hmm. And superheroes have been able to overcome it in a big way. It resonates with people and people want to be able to capture that moment with that celebrity. Well, to be honest with you, Garib, I could talk about superheroes for a lot longer. So I should probably cut the conversation short here and move into the networking part of the conversation since this is a Build Network podcast. This is a question I ask everybody on the show. So everybody that comes on, I ask them this question just kind of to kind of get the ball rolling in this direction. So do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why, Garib? So I do think that networking is the most incredible life skill that you can have Mm. because it never stops. It's never too late to get started and it follows you everywhere and it enables you to move in and out of almost any aspect of your life in a way that over time just keeps getting bigger and better. So I've been very fortunate. It's not like I ever thought about it, but you know, as a very young age getting into business, I didn't know anybody. So I just had to meet people and meet people and meet people. And and what happened is over time, you start working, you start meeting people, and then they introduce you to people and they introduce you to people. And then over time, you just build up this incredible network and it enables you to get into almost any industry or business or just even being educated about some area. So for me, you know, networking has been, you know, I think, one of my greatest life skills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've been able to build literally this superhero empire, so to speak, out of really nothing. So that's what intrigues me the most because obviously I believe that that networking is so crucial and getting to know people is so crucial and relationship building is so crucial. Where along the line did you really figure out that that was something that you needed to you know double and triple down on? Again, it, I don't think it was anything that I was conscious of at the time. Because for me, it was, I was 21, I was trying to build my company, and I just needed to know people. Hmm. And also because of my age, when I was 21, I also looked like I was 14. So a lot (laughs) of people didn't take me serious. So that was very complicated too. Mm -hmm. So for me, I had to work doubly as hard because people weren't taking me serious. So I had to meet as many people as I could just to figure out who I could work with and who I could do stuff with and where I can get access to. Fortunately, the industry that we were in, especially with the newer and upcoming comic book talent, especially the artists and the writers, were also very, very young at the time. So that helped a lot mm, because yeah. people that I grew up with, they were my age or a little bit older or a little bit younger even. Mm-hmm, and right. we had all the same issues. So we kind of gravitated towards each other you know, and that worked out really, really well. But for me, it was always about trying to get to the right person or the right resource or to just be able to provide so much more information for our audience. So, you know, the whole thing was being a magazine was we just, we needed to be the experts before everybody else was. So 
we had to call people, we had to reach out to people, we had to get access to things before everybody else did. That was my job. Yeah. And, you know, I think I had no choice and I had the perfect cover to call everybody. It's like, look, we're doing a magazine. We want to write about your product. It really helped getting responses to people. Hmm. And then it felt really good, right? So once you meet somebody that you've been trying to get to and you meet them, you're like, wow, this feels good. I like how that feels. I like meeting that person or getting the access to that person that I never thought I would have to get to or could get to. And then it gets, it's contagious and it's intoxicating. And then you want to do more and more of it. So when you were starting, when you were 21, this was what, 1990, you said, 1991? It was 1991, yep. Okay, so obviously a little bit before social media was around, um, which makes connecting with people a little bit more complicated than it would be today. So what were some really practical ways that you used to do it back then? And then now, do you still apply those same ways just in addition to social media or have you completely just transformed over to online? So it's definitely changed. I mean, certainly because over time, as you get more successful or as you have more resources, it's a lot easier because you can, you know, people still are very transactional in the sense that if you help me, I'll help you kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. back in the day, I used to take this motto that I used to have in the publishing world, which is, you know, however we need to access, right? So for me, it was, okay, if I called somebody or I had to meet them in person or I had a cell phone or go visit them or find out who they know that can make an introduction for me. Today, I do the same thing. And I don't limit myself to, oh, call or email. It's, do I know somebody or are they on a network? Are they in a network? Is there somebody? It's a lot easier to identify who your common connections are, but you still have to do the work. You still have to make the investigation. And, you know, now it's so much easier to be able to access people. Mm-hmm. So I try to access a lot more people. But I will tell you, I don't have a, I don't want to even say near perfect hit rate. You know, I would tell you, you know, my success rate is very, very low. I mean, there's yeah. still a lot of people that even today I reach out to and I never hear back from them or what have you. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly if I knew the person, that's a different story. But, you know, you still got to do whatever it takes in terms of the research to find out how you know somebody. Because the more you come in, from a trusted source, the more whoever you're talking to is going to believe that you're working on something or a part of something that they should be able to access. I love that you said what you just said about the fact that you still reach out to people and you still get a lot of no's and that your success rate isn't anywhere near perfect. And you've been doing this for 20 years and you're one of the premier companies in the entire industry and you still have people that say no. And I love hearing that because I think sometimes people, myself included, and a lot of listeners that are tuning in right now would probably be able to identify with that because they're going through this whole imposter syndrome phase where they don't believe that they're enough, that they don't believe that they're worth a reply even in it keeps them from reaching out for people. And then they go reach out to two people, maybe three people, and they're putting themselves out there. And then they don't get a response from two of them. And then one of them says, no, I don't have time. And it just is completely discouraging and like takes all the wind out of their sails. What would your advice be to somebody like that? So a couple of things. One is it's great. And you just have to keep trying. And you know, the failure is not trying. The failure is not getting a response. The failure is not actually trying to get the response. And then also I think a lot of people too, they may think that just reaching out is doing the job when in fact there has to be that research and that has to be that, what is it, you know, that you're looking for? What is the 
situation where you want somebody to bond to you in a way that you are offering them something or they're offering you something or they could be helpful in a lot of ways. So I have a very similar issue, which is I'm on the other side of a lot of people reaching out to me also. And when people just reach out to me to say hi, you know, a lot of times they're not going to get a response because I don't have time to figure out why they're reaching out to me or I don't recognize the company or I've never worked with them before. I don't even know, you know, that they have a mutual connection or things like that, right? So it's very difficult. I don't have the time or energy to figure out how I know this person or why I should know this person or what to do with them. And so the more information you can give me, the more likely I am to respond. Hmm. So it works kind of both ways. People should never be despondent over not getting responses. I mean, every single time in history you hear about these people that started companies or these actors that did this or their rooms are littered with letters you know, that they got rejected, you know, Mm -hmm. 20, 30, 50 times before somebody finally said yes. Yeah. But you got to ask 50 people to get one yes, if one out of 50, you're going to say yes. So you just got to do it. I love the insight that you gave there from the other end of it as well, because I think it helps add some perspective into the mix. I think that sometimes if you are not somebody that is in demand, so to speak, that you don't have a lot of people reaching out to you on a daily basis, that you don't, you honestly just don't have the perspective or the context to understand what people like that are going through on a daily basis, not to make it sound like it's a bad thing, but you just don't understand what it would be like to have, you know, literally dozens or hundreds or thousands, depending on on the magnitude of, of how in demand that this person is, but you just don't understand what that's like. So you not getting a response literally could just be as simple as it just went to the very bottom of their inbox and it just got lost in the abyss, <laughs> you know, and it just is just because it's just so impossible for them to respond to things. If they said no, maybe it's just because it's bad timing or they literally don't have an opening in their schedule for like seven months, you know, like you just got to stop taking it so personally and realize that one of the times that you do reach out, it is going to be the right time you will be at the top of the inbox and you'll be able to make something happen. But the odds of it happening on the first or second time are actually pretty low. So just keep at it, keep your head up and just deal with the rejection for now. How would you recommend people deal with rejection, Garib? How did you do it? Honestly, I didn't even care, Uh, you know, because I sent out so many responses to people. I mean, I sent out so many requests to people that I just worked with the people that said yes Hmm. and then just built it from there. Right. So if I sent out 50 emails or made 25 phone calls and whoever called me back, that's who I worked with. And when I did a great job and when I showed them what a great job I did with them, you know, then the next time I called somebody else, I said, hey, you know, look what I just did. And what winds up happening is it's never a threat, but it's if I work with you, you know, and you don't you say no or I want to work with you and you say no and I might call your competitor. And if they say yes, I'm going to work with them. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, if I work with your competitor, you'll understand that when you said no, you were telling me to call your competitor. Right. But, and again, it's not so implicitly saying to somebody, you know, if you don't work with me, I'm going to go against you. But it's more in the line of thinking, which is I'm just going to work with whoever wants to work with me. Right. And I'm going to do the best I can with them. And then once I do the best I can with them, then I'm going to go back to you and say, hey, look what I just did. Now, how about if we try it? And if they still say no, it doesn't matter. You're still going to work with the people that you work with, and then you're going to keep growing and growing and growing that way. But you can't rely on 
the fact that if somebody says no, that all of a sudden you're going to close the door and not work again. It's like, <laughs> you want to do some great work, find the person that you could do great work with. Right. I think too many people base their percentages off of too small of a sample size. You know what I mean? Like they'll reach out to four people and three of them ignored them. One of them said no. And then they're like, well, 0% of the time does somebody ever get back to me with a yes? You know, and it's like, well, no, you got to reach out to like 200 people and then look at the percentages and see how many people said yes, how many people said no, what you could say differently to try to get more people to say yes next time. Like the, it's you stop, stop basing your biases on such a small sample size. Garib, thanks so much for coming to the show. We got to move on now to the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Yes. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Well, the irony of my life is that I do attempt those things. So it was now ultimately to be an artist. You know, I would like to be in the technology side of things on the app development. So I am working on an app, you know, on the side, just something really fun that I've been working on. So I think the technology side would be great. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? It would be Mark Zuckerberg. You know, and despite the issues that he's facing right now, I still think that he's been able to build the largest global community of people in a way that's never been done before. And to me, that's one of the most extraordinary things that's happened. So he would be the one. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I like to read still, but I do read more physical. So I read a lot of articles still, and I love social media. Definitely videos on social media. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Well, I get up and then I'd like to see what's going on kind of in my social media world, my emails, check the stock market, see what the world is going on. And pretty much once I kind of consume all of that, then I immediately can start feeling like I can respond to people and kind of set my base in terms of what I'm going to be doing. What is your go-to pump-up song? Well, I, I have a song that's not so much a pump-up song, but definitely something that I go to all the time, which is a song called Over My Head by The Fray. Because so many times I am trying to do so many big things or have a lot of cool stuff going on, mm -hmm. you know, that I kind of almost joke with myself in a way that sometimes I feel like I'm in way over my head, even though I know I'm going to be able to take care of it. What are you not very good at? I'm not good at confrontation. Hmm. Just kind of shove it off on other people. Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily I do have really great people around me, you know, so luckily I don't have to deal with that, you know, and certainly over the years I've gotten better at it, mm -hmm. you know, but to me, you know, I've always wanted to do great things with great people. And, you know, I want to be able to really get people and all of our interests aligned. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm most comfortable. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Garib, what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most? Instagram, for sure. Instagram. And what's the handle? That's my name. It's Garib Seamus. Garib Seamus. That's G-A-R-E-B. And then Seamus is S-H-A-M-U-S. 
S at Garib Seamus over on Instagram. Garib, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Really seriously had a fantastic time chatting with you about all this. Great. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.